Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Jackson, you're in Welcome. full voice. There you're we go. You're in full voice today. You are in full voice today for Welcome to Cloudlandia. That is exactly right. And it's been a great week in Cloudlandia. And more particularly, a great week in Deanlandia. Okay. That's the free well, zone. Yes, that That's is the, the free zone. Free zone. <laughs> that Dean Jackson creates between the mainland and Cloudlandia. A lot of people don't know, but there's a secret territory between these two worlds. That's a secret territory. I love it. And there's a yeah. secret handshake to access. But no, it's a funny thing. One of the I've been secret tattoo. There's a secret tattoo. Okay. There's mm. caps, t-shirts, and mugs. That's right. That's so funny. Not bumpers, but not bumper stickers. No bumper stickers in Deanlandia. I've had I had an interesting outcome at you. I mentioned to you the distinction that I discovered between you know less less screen time, more Dean time, and I successfully lowered my screen time by twenty nine percent this week. What specific, all, What specifically did you go after? You know, I spent more time, uh, you know, I, I, everything that I do, I get done in what I call 50-minute focus finders. And mm -hmm. the basis or the basics of the idea are that, you know, I've had AD and I it would always look at, even with the best intentions, you know, I want to do something, but I would find it difficult to focus or to do what I say I'm going to do without any supervision or accountability, right? So I started saying to myself, listen, is there, is it true that I can't focus? And is there any situation in my life where I can? And I immediately started thinking about golf. And I thought, you know, I can play golf for, you know, four or five hours in a row with no you know, with no problem. I can do that all the time. I can go to movies. I love going to movies and I don't have a, a problem with that. That's a couple of hours. And I started looking at what are the characteristics of what's going on with golf that makes it so easy for me to, you know, keep my word on that or to focus on that for an extended period of time. And it developed into an acronym for golf, which is the, all the characteristics of why I'm able to focus on that particular activity. And I thought, okay, well, there's, first of all, the G is there's a goal. And a goal, I just use a goal as a decision that I've made the decision that this is what I'm going to do. I put it in the calendar. I'm going to play golf on Friday afternoon. And it's in my calendar and I work all the way around it right? Everything, it, it's there as an anchor. Then I, there, O is for an optimal environment. And a golf course is the optimal environment to play golf. It's set up perfectly for the task. You've got all the holes are already laid out. You start on the first tee, you kind of get on that, you know, Ned Hollowell would probably refer to it as a bobsled run. You start at hole number one and you work your way all the way through to the 18th mm -hmm. hole, and then you're done. There are limited distractions, is the L. 
meaning there's not no internet, no, you know, especially if you leave your phone in your bag or in your locker, there's limited distractions. You're able to stay on track. You've got all the equipment, everything you need right there in your bag, in your golf bag. And F is a fixed cup. And so I started thinking, okay, well, how can I apply those elements to getting the things that I want to get done that might be, you know, not golf, (laughs) the proactive things that I want to get done. And so I came up with this idea of a 50-minute focus finder, and I would start blocking two-hour blocks in my calendar. and. In those two hours, I would do, I could do two 50-minute blocks with a 20-minute you know, break in between. So it'd be 50, 20, 50, and that could be two hours. And so I started thinking, okay, I'm going to block off this 50-minute focus for this, this, this two-hour block. I'm going to establish what's the goal for this mm-hmm. time. What is it that I'm going to do? And mm-hmm. what would be the optimal environment for this? And so, for instance, so if I'm thinking about if brainstorm my new book is the goal, then I can I would set aside the time. The optimal mm-hmm. environment for that is in my comfy on my comfy white couch in my courtyard with my light. With I'd have some water. I've got my remarkable. I've got my you know everything is set up for what I'm going to need. To, to accomplish that. Limited distractions, I'll leave my phone in the house and not have it here as a distraction because I want the you know, distraction-free environment. And otherwise, you know, if it's dinging or flashing or there, it's tempting to get distracted on that. And the fixed time frame, I have a timer, I have a visual 50-minute timer that kind of I can see where where I am in that without having to use my phone as the timer because mm-hmm. that's too too tempting for me. And so that 50 minutes goes and I'm able to get into a flow and do what it is mm-hmm. that I'm going to do. And then at 50 minutes, the alarm dings and I can get up and move around and go get some water, maybe fix some coffee, get look at my phone you know, do whatever I need to do. And then after the 20 minutes, I come back, set the timer for 50 minutes and do it again. And in that kind of thing, I find that, you know, brainstorming often leads to outlining and that will, you know, lead to whatever the next step is. But I can always set up what the goal of the of the outcome is, you know, like one of the great example, I never have a problem focusing on Welcome to Cloudlandia. It's an ingrained golf outing for us. You know, mm-hmm. I set it in my calendar. I know where I'm going to be at the appointed time. I've got an optimal environment. I've got all the tools that I need. I have my remarkable for, you know, just doodling and taking notes as we're going. I'm out in the courtyard. I've got a nice bottle of water here. And it's effortless. Effortless. Well, I think you're, uh, what's interesting about what you've just described is that you're taking a great habit and a great activity from the mainland and you're moving it into Cloudlandia projects. 
I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And because that's yeah, where and my that's sense the access is, portal. Yeah. My my sense is that if you look at the development of anything new in the world, going back for as long as we have history, the biggest breakthroughs is where somebody develops takes something that's really well developed in an old territory and moves it into a new territory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, right now we can use the terms mainland and cloudlandia because we're in a current old territory, new territory piece of history, you know, the historical period. But it would have been the same with the development of the industrial technological breakthroughs, you know, with telegraph, you know, telephone, you know, internal combustion engine, assembly line, you know, assembly line, you know, the whole thing that the people who really make the money are the people who have the courier service between the two worlds. That's a great, that's a great outcome. I mean, when you think yeah. about that, especially, it's funny, I was in the reading in the, in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, there was, and I get the print version on Saturdays, or for the weekend version of the, the Wall Street Journal. And yesterday- Best newspaper in the world, called, by the way. Best, best newspaper in the world. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So in yesterday, finest, I don't know whether- fi- Yeah, yesterday. Fi- finest newspaper in the world, mm-hmm. hands down. There's no other newspapers good as the Wall Street Saturday edition. Well, there we go. That was your recommendation, by the way. About a year ago, I started getting the physical version. But there's an article about entitled, Mastering Your Mental Images Can Make mm-hmm. Your Day. As a new psychological techniques aim to use your imagination and all of your senses to overcome trauma and achieve goals. Did you read that article? Or? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's an interesting. It's not so that's sort of breakthrough information, but it's more supporting information that really shows what you think about, you bring about. That's <laughs> kind of. Well, it's it's cheaper than Adderall, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm on a different path right now that you might be interested. So I'm in a 12-week 12-week program with a sleep psychologist. Okay. Okay. His name is Michael Bruce. Bruce. Do you know Michael? I do. Yeah. We've had him on I Love Marketing and he's yeah, pretty well, I have nothing to say then. Well, no, tell me. I want no, to hear all, all about been, it because it's all been it's all been said. Oh, that's so funny. Between you and Joe and Michael, what else is there to say? But anyway, <laughs> I was recommended him by Param Dedia, who's my was my Canyon Ranch go to doctor for ten, twelve years, and then he's gone out on his own because he spent too much time with me. And, uh, you know, be around me. You turned him into an entrepreneur. (laughs) You're going to go out on your own if you're around me too much. You're going to get infected. Yep, yep. It's contagious. It's contagious, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so anyway, one of my goals, I'm working with David Hasse, who's, I don't know if you've met David or not, but he's in the free zone. Yeah. Yes. He's he's absolutely our number one overall doctor who is right at the center of all of our 
medical network, and mm-hmm. and his specialty is everything that improves the brain, the function of the brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, so to start the program with him, which was last August, 2022, I set a goal that by 2024, August of 2024, that I would be off all prescription drugs. So that would include sleep medicines, Adderall, and blood pressure medicine. So I have three, three, three big ones. And, and so along the way, I've been looking for ways of getting off the sleep medicine. And Parmedia, who really got me into having CPAP at night, and which has been great. I've been doing it for 12 years. I've missed eight nights in 12 years. You know, I really... I've really benefited from wow. the technology. First, first of all, the machine does all the work at night. I don't even have to bother breathing. You know, you know, it controls well, your breathing. breathing in, at least the breathing in part. That's yeah. your, you get that. Yeah, but it, uh, it it automatically and it lowers your blood pressure at night because you're not working as hard. And so anyway, that was great. And along the way, I've acquired sleep medicines, which I've enjoyed. You know, Lunesta and Sonata. But the test that Dr. Hasse, David Hasse, does with me indicated that there's a long term negative impact of these drugs. Okay. You know, they have a neurological yeah. effects over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And he said, I know what your lifetime goals are as far as how long you want to live. I understand your goals for, you know, <clears throat> you know where you want to be. 10 years ahead, 100, you know, 20 years ahead. And he uh-huh. said, if we can take these pharmaceutical things out of your system at a certain point, that'd be good. And I said, good. Well, that's my goal. Two years fall prescription drugs. And, and I've made great progress, but the one that was, it wasn't in order to get off the prescription drugs, what I have to do is change my sleep habits. Okay. Because those drugs, which are the sleep medicines at night and the Adderall during the day, totally undermine your ability to get deep sleep, you know, which is the restorative, you know, it's the restorative mm-hmm. sleep. You know, and I'm happy for my relationship with these drugs. I'm not dishing the drugs, you know, right. and already I can see some nervousness on the part of the drugs that Whereas they thought this was going to be, whereas they thought this was going to be a lifetime relationship, I've kind of uh-huh. put them on the, I've kind of put them on the clock, you know. They're, you okay. know, and yeah. So anyway, we started three weeks ago, and he's got really, it's a wonderful coaching program. From the standpoint, you know, me being a coach, I kind of understand a really good coaching program when I see it. So what he starts you off at is that he starts gradually depriving you of sleep. Okay. So it starts at, so it started off at 10 o'clock where we go to bed at 10 and we wake up at five. Okay. Oh my God. And that's, that's less sleep than I, I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about in bed time here, you Mm -hmm. know, 10 to 10 to five. And then about two weeks in, he moved it to 10, 15. And it means you can't go to bed before 10.15, okay, mm-hmm. so 10.15, but you always get up at 5. And his ultimate goal is that regardless of when you go to sleep at night, 
you always get up at five because then your circadian rhythms can kick in and, you know, and you, they've got, you know, from five till the evening, they've got 12 hours of, they've got at least, you know, they've got 12, 13 hours for your natural sleep hormones to kick in and you get sleepy mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So anyway, this, uh, so is that different? First, like, uh, do you normally, Dan, have you normally no, gotten you, up at five or is that new for you? No, we ordinarily go to bed whenever, but we yeah. always make sure to be in bed more than eight hours. Okay. So that if was you, our rule. So sometimes you wake up at seven or eight or whatever. That'd be late. That'd be late. That would be late. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But usually we're hitting bed at around eight thirty nine at night. Okay. Oh my and then okay, right, and right. then we put both Babs and I are morning people, so we're not okay, uh, right. yeah. we're not depriving ourselves. And right, then right. W- whenever we go to bed, then we put the alarm for eight hours or more than eight hours to get up in the morning. Okay, so okay. that's uh, yeah, but it might be any time between eight o'clock and ten o'clock that we would go to bed. But then mm-hmm. when we got up in the morning, it would be determined by by eight hours later. Yeah, but lights yeah. out, you know. So, okay. Anyway, so it was a real strain in the first week or so. What are we going to do with the extra hour and a half at night? You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you're sort of twiddling your thumbs and you're saying, "What could I do? What could I do?" You know. And then uh-huh. before you go to bed, three hours before, you can't have any alcohol. So no alcohol okay. within the last three hours. No food within the last two hours, and no water within the last hour. You know, uh-huh. and and because the you're asking the digestive system to stay awake, you know, and do right. certain things. And so, anyway, so long, long story. I'm just getting the general context here of yeah what happened. But halfway through the second week, I said, I wonder if I. So I take two Adderalls. I take a time release Adderall first thing when I get up in the morning, which is ten megs. And that, depending on the day and what's going on in the day, I'll usually have one around two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, because okay. I'm starting to fade mm-hmm. during that time. And bang, I take the Adderall, and I'm, you know, and that's I'm, an immediate release. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I experimented. I said, I wonder if I can go through the afternoon get through the day and i did it once and it was just before mm-hmm. a meeting with him so i'd have weekly meetings with him and i he said well let's do an experiment let's see if you can only have one day during the next week when you use the afternoon adderall because you've already indicated that you're kind of ambitious here so let's see if we can do it and i made it through the whole week so I, wow so it's and it's been 15 days now, I haven't had my afternoon Adderall, and it's gone. It's gone, you know, because it's not oh, an addiction. Right. It's not yeah, an yeah. addiction. It's a dependency, and there's a big addiction. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, it's just a habit, yeah. just a habit. It's not an addiction that yeah. has hold of your nervous system. So right. so he says, that that's really great. And then I take two meds at night. I take a Lunesta, which is like a five-hour five-hour knockout drug, and then mm-hmm. there's Sonata, and usually at the five-hour, four-hour, I get up and I do a fundamental human activity, I pee, okay? <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, remember, 
Whenever you're planning the, remember when you're planning the future of the human race, make sure that there's always time to pee. (laughs) And and, uh, so I'll pop uh, Sonata at that point and it's fast acting and I go back to sleep. So this past week I've half the Sonata. So instead of taking the full dose, I break it in half and I just take half and it's worked. It's worked. So I've gotten seven days in where I've just done half. And he said, okay, you're going on vacation now next week. See if you can get rid of the Sonata. So I have, but the big thing, Dean, is we have to do a complete diary every day. It's a seven day diary. And then we have to send it to him before our next meeting with him. And then he goes and looks and he said, you know, pretty good. He says, you're, you'll probably be about four weeks into the five weeks into the program. And you will have eliminated the afternoon Adderall and the middle of the night Sonata. He says that's quite yeah. amazing prog- amazing progress. Yeah, you know but I like I like the structure, and he's very adaptable. I mean, he's got his goals. Mm-hmm. He wants you get he wants you to have the habit of getting up at five o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. But I told him Friday. I met with him on Friday, just a couple of days ago, and I said, you know. You've reintroduced me to a pleasure that I have not experienced, I bet, in 20 years. And what's that? And he says, the feeling of being sleepy. Oh, interesting. So you were using I, the, the Lunesta as the one that was kind of, that was the signal or whatever, right? The behavioral yeah. signal so, to get sleepy. Yeah, and so yeah. I was taking upper, the Adderall is an yeah. upper, and the Lunesta and Sonata are downers. So I was never sleepy. I would just be, I would just be up and then I was down chemically. You know what's so funny? If you say those words and Joe and I had Richard Vigory on our, Mm -hmm. I look at it, he talked about his daily routine of, you know, two uppers in the morning and two downers in the evening. And those were two cups of coffee in the morning and two glasses of wine in the evening. He called them his uppers and downers. (laughs) Yeah, that's his rhythm, right? Right. Well, Richard can do anything he wants at this stage. <laughs> yeah, right. Richard's in. I think know. he's in his. He's in his nineties now. You know, I mean, he's. To, you know, he's beyond warranty for a refund. I'll tell you. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, he's a. Uh, yeah, he's it, it really in the history of the last sixty, seventy years of politics in the United States. Yeah, and yeah. the pers- people most responsible for establishing a solid conservative mindedness and conservative voting mm-hmm. population. Uh, Richard would be in one of the top five of, the people, of all the people. You know. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. You said something interesting about your, you know, you've developed the routine that when you get up to pee, you take the senesta and that's your cue to go back and have another round of sleep. And I may have mentioned to you, I heard someone say, you know, if you're going to tell yourself a lie, you may as well make it a good one. And <laughs> I started thinking that... Well, not only I that, you might, thinking, well make, you might as well make money on it, you know, if you're going to... Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> That's, called that, uh, That's called marketing. That's called marketing. I would have the same thing, Dan. I would wake up at five o'clock, for instance, to pee. And then sometimes I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep, right? Because then my mind would start like already, uh, yeah. you know, working on the things I was working on for the day or whatever. But I started telling myself the 
this better story, I would wake up at, if it, you know, four, often 4.45, 4.50 is around the time usually, right? And so if I wake up and it's that, I smile and I go pee and I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm creating this story that this is great because I'm going to have the two best hours of sleep of my night right now. I still have two hours left for the greatest sleep. And I started telling myself that story and wouldn't you know it, I ended up, I had the best two hours of sleep after telling myself that story. And I thought that's an interesting thing with that matches up with this article we were talking about in the Wall Street yeah. Journal. Mastering yeah. your mental images can make your day. And I thought, because I would really emotionally get you know, I would create joy out of waking up at 452 yeah. because I knew that I was going to, with certainty, have the two best sleep hours of the night. Yeah. Well, what you've created, Mr. Jackson, is a self-milking placebo. Exactly right. Yeah. But I wonder <laughs> if you tried replace. I mean, this is, it would be interesting to try replacing your stuff with that story. Well, it's Sonata. Sonata is the Sonata, Sonata. Yeah. and it's not called that on the prescription because it's generic. But right. uh, anyway, sure. I mean, we do that. I mean, as entrepreneurs, we have a natural gift yeah. for this. You know, I mean, this. You know, <laughs> I think this is a commitment to something you don't have the capability for yet. Right, you know? right, yeah. right. Yeah, you're committing to a future jump in you know, in performance and which will be a new capability. But when you commit, you don't have the capability and that requires courage, you know, that requires mm -hmm. courage to, and yeah, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting, but you know, more and more, I think that whether you're happy or not happy in the 21st century is the mind games that you have learned to play with yourself. Yeah. I think that's really, that's one of the, that's one of the core foundations. Imagine if you applied yourself, imagining <laughs> this outcome. Yeah, yeah. You just weren't going to apply yourself to her goals. Right. That's right. Yeah. I, Very I good. Tend, yeah, and I think entrepreneurs are asked in you know the early years, and especially when they're in the school system, to apply themselves to some other people's goals for them. Mm -hmm. And they, at a certain point, they say, well, I don't get paid for that. I don't get right. paid for applying myself <laughs> to other people's goals. That, Why don't I just come up with my own goals and apply myself to them? Okay. And yeah. I bet doing it my way lets me make 100 times more lifetime income <laughs> than, than the teacher. Than, than the te yeah, the teacher. Right. I'll never yeah. make any money that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, there's such a disconnect now. And Peter Diamandis and I talked about it on Friday that a 18 year old today, any anywhere in North America and probably elsewhere, that if you get a 10 week course in welding, you know, and you get a certificate within at the end of the first year, you'll make $60,000 a year. Yeah. And so, yeah. Because there's such a, demand now that we get welders into the reindustrialization and remanufacturing of North America right now. All requires welding somewhere along yeah. the line. 
And meanwhile, if you go to four years of university, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of the university, you probably didn't make any money during the four years or minimal, minimal money during the four years. And probably you're running some sort of debt at the four, year, four years. And meanwhile, the, mm-hmm. the 18-year-old who went into welding could be making 80, 90, 100,000. By the time you mm-hmm. graduate, and you've learned for four years things that don't make as much as a welder. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think there's a shift because the incoming freshman class in the U.S., the difference between 2021 and 2022 was 4 million fewer freshmen coming into the first year of college. That's a big that's a big number. Wow, is that four, right four. compared to yeah. how many normally come into the freshman? Well, four million but more. Oh, yeah, but I mean, that <laughs> is it for, that sounds like it couldn't be. Well, it's a big number. That, I mean, there's a lot yeah, of college. Yeah, it's a big freshmen. number. You know, yeah. It would be probably, it would, you know, I'll, I'll have to check the numbers, but it would right, be right. somewhere and then it would be at least 25%, you know, hmm. at the very least it'd be 25% was missing, you know, because there's a disconnect about what they're learning and what they know gets paid for in the marketplace. And, you know, you, you don't have to have a PhD to know the difference between what you get paid for, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, anyway, and I think parents are seeing this and I think uh, the, you know, the teenagers are seeing this and the words passing through the ranks, you know, the, it's a crack, you know, for the most part, going to university for four years is a crack. And they say, yeah, but there's a socializing process that goes on that's ultimately very valuable. And I said, yeah, but your way, your notion of how I should be socialized doesn't agree with my notion of how I should be socialized. Wow. Yeah. That's something when you look. You want me yeah. to apply myself to mindsets I don't agree to. You know, I don't agree. With. <laughs> well, that's why you are in the center. Imagine if you applied yourself. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. all part of it. I think that's an interesting, you know, thing that kids are, you know, we as people, you know, that you are an integral part of this is that it's, you know, I heard someone parsing out the words of row, row your boat. <laughs> like it's, that's the secret to life is row, row your boat gently <laughs> down the stream. You know, that that's really the key to life. Hmm. And the hokey pokey, I guess. Right. One, rem- <laughs> number one, it's your boat. Yeah. Number two, you're going downstream, not upstream. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And not much and rowing just, required to go downstream. <laughs> right. So that's kind of, I think, if you could argue that saying, you know, going in your unique ability, you know, and oh, yeah. row is to continue then doing, actually doing something. It's not just float, float your way down yeah. the stream. It's row. You, you're actually doing something, you know. Yeah, it doesn't say you're the only one rowing either. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's right. Get everybody on board. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. I love the other things like that. Well, you know, I mean, the interesting thing is this always happens when you have the sudden emergence of a new territory and it's creating opportunities, it's creating wealth opportunities, achievement opportunities, you know, and freedom opportunities than the old territory did, you know. 
And But this happens repeatedly. I mean, over the centuries, over the millennia, there's always the old territory and the new territory. And then the people who make the money are the people who can learn on both sides and create an entirely new value creation propositions that lets other people make the transition. Yeah, for example, you and Joe doing I Love Marketing. Well, this would have been meaningless probably 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean... Because there was no capability for people to take action and get results with what you were recommending. That's the truth. That's what's encouraging. That's kind of the... You know, when I was really looking at the the 25-year framework and putting it in perspective with my plus three to that, three years to get to 60, and then my next 25-year, you know, chapter starting at 60, that Mm -hmm. 28 years, I started looking back 28 years ago and realized every single thing that were, you know, (laughs) that is the biggest things right now weren't even in existence then and so encouraging when you think about you know you know the richest if money's the thing the richest probably five or six people in the world weren't even didn't even start on their uh, built all their wealth in that same period Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of that's kind of encouraging you know yeah, I like yeah. I like that a lot, and that's kind of a that's so you realize wow what a nice meaty period of time that is. And of course, you know, looking back, there's no way that we could have predicted 25 years ago what or 28 years ago what a podcast was, or that everybody you know, you'd have an instant and available access to so much of the world's information like that. You know, it wasn't even wasn't even a thing. We were definitely yeah. mainland oriented. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, how many coach clients have podcasts? Even though I've, you know, they've been listening to my podcast, they've been listening to your podcast, and but hardly any of them are. You know, I think it comes down to the that it's a lack of confidence. They don't have Mm. the confidence to do it. But Mm. the only way out of no confidence is to make a commitment that you're going to get the capability. Okay. And by this time next year, I'm going to launch, I'm going to launch a podcast series. Now, who's the how who helps me do that? Yeah. Because you don't have to do it. I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, I don't know, there's all sorts of talent around in the world who know, I mean, there's two bills. There's 2 million podcast series as of January this year and probably a lot more six months later. And all I did was start in with Joe and, you know, get the ropes and, you know, and, you know, and then I said, well, I think I can create another series. And, you know, and that was with Peter Diamandis. I'd had a couple of years with Joe to get the feel mm-hmm. for it. And we started with Peter Diamandis and, you know, it's, it's great. You know, it's great. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, I have seven, you know, seven regular mm-hmm. podcasts, including our own here. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, it was like, uh, we were having lunch at Les Select in Toronto yeah. and, uh, you know, I brought up the idea of that procrastination is actually a form of wisdom. And you said, we should do a podcast on this. Exactly. And I said, 
And I said, when will we start? He said, what are you doing tomorrow? Right. And tomorrow we had a complete podcast and all I had to do was make a phone call and that was it, you know, and we had a podcast, you know, and, uh, you know, but podcasts are full-fledged Cloudlandia capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I've had a great, you know, you look at those, the taking action, the just doing the things I had to thanks to my, you know, more dean time, less screen time focus over the last couple of weeks. I've had a really productive couple of weeks. I was in the middle of, or I had started a lead generation workshop that I do by Zoom. And the focus four weeks, and we focus on setting up a lead generation system for your business. And we do four Tuesdays. And I decided to go through the process with the people who I'm going through the workshop with to to demonstrate. So one of the things that we talk about is once we identify who your ideal target audience is, who's your ideal prospect, then we start thinking about what would be the book that they would most definitely want to have in their in their possession, in their collection. And so we go through a whole process of identify, I go through a book title formulas workshop where I you know, describe the different types of book titles and have them do the exercise of creating what I call a word palette where they think of all of the words and phrases and hopes and dreams and fears and you know, all the sound bites that are going on in somebody's head. And so one of the title formulas is what we call just do it title, which is it does what it says. You're going to do what it says on the cover, like stop your divorce or think and grow rich is, are the types of action. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Compelling and offers. So I, Compelling yeah. offers. And so, yeah. So I wrote a title. I did the workshop. I did the process with them and I created a book a book called Convert More Leads, What to Say to Prospects So They All Convert Themselves, and had a nice cover imagery of a guy on a boat on a lake, and he's got his hands behind his head, and the fish are just jumping in his basket. That's the, that's the imagery that we did. So I created that as the cover, and then in the next seven days, I created the whole book. I did. Uh, it reminded me of being when we were in London, you know, having that conversation. So I went through the whole process of brainstorm, where I mm -hmm. brainstormed all the content and set it up into the chapters, and I made a great outline. And I then went into the studio and I recorded what was essentially the audiobook version. Mm -hmm. I'd say chapter one begin with the end in mind. And then I would talk through my talking points for chapter one. And then I said, chapter two, and the title of chapter two. And so I created all the raw, all the raw audio by just talking about what I wanted to say. I had that recorded. And then I sent, or I didn't do it, but Juan at the studio sent the audio to someone on my team, Jack, who then took 
the audio, got a transcript, set up the Google Doc, did a first pass edit to turn it into, you know, clean it up for written kind of format and sent it back to me. And then I was able to go in and in a period of 50 minute focus finders, edit the written transcript into the finished form of the book. And it's nice. You know, it's a great outcome. And all the while I was doing that, I was already running ads for it. I set up the Facebook ads and I've generated now 293 ads of, or leads of people who want the book for about $3 each. Yeah. So it, the whole thing, it was such a great, like, during the process to actually go through with people and, and demonstrate what can be done, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the, you know, you know how to create the book, you know, I mean, the book is easy. Do you have a copy yet? Are you going to run off 20 copies and send them out to your friends so you can get? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Send them up because I'll, I'll, you know, consume it and. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Tell you five or five or 10 things it reminds me of. And perfect. Mm -hmm. I love it. Send it back to you. That becomes version one. And then with the input and the expansion, I can make version two. And, but it's a nice, meaty book. It's really good, really good content. So I'm happy with that. So I got version. Yeah. Uh, I tell people, you know, you can call 90 minute book and you can get a first Mm -hmm. draft of your book, get 20 or 30 copies and get it out to 20 or 30 people and then make. Yeah. Your readers part of the design team. That's exactly the whole purpose. That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. People yeah. So that's work I'm for, using it exactly work for yeah. five years. Five years writing a book and they never mm-hmm. let a potential reader first of all, they're not even clear about who the potential reader is. And right. you know, and my you know, I always start with one person as my potential reader and i do sort of a a dos in my mind about what the dangers opportunities and strengths of this one person and i write the book and i do it i do that people say well i want the book to be forever and i said well i have a different approach i want to be for one person right because if i nail that if i nail that they then you know the one person I want is a an entrepreneur who's already successful, who's talent, talented, who's ambitious, and from now on they want ten times more freedom in their life, freedom of money, freedom of re- time, money, relationship, and purpose. I said it's yeah. easy. I just write the book for that person. Well, you mm-hmm. know, but what about school teachers? I said not interested. You know, what about mm-hmm. government bureaucrats? Not interested. What about corporate employees? Not interested. You know, what about nonprofit organization? I said, I, I can't even say the two words to myself. It depresses me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we have doctors mm, who have so nonprofits. Funny. We have doctors who have nonprofits. And they say, well, can I, as a nonprofit organization, be in your future? I said, I can't even allow those two words to be said. And I'm at workshop mm-hmm. with mine. I said nonprofit in the entrepreneurial we- world means something totally different for you know. I didn't get that. Can you try again? No, Siri. <laughs> Siri, you know, you know what Siri's main her main saying to me is I didn't quite get that. 
I didn't quite I, get that. Yeah. I didn't quite get that. I said, well, of course you are. You're not a person. You know, a person would get it. You're just yeah. uh, you're just an algorithm and not a very yeah. pleasant one to, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, never been useful. Always been a bother. So that's my take on it. Yeah. Uh-oh. Anyway, so, oh, I want to tell you a little project we've got. You know Joel Stolte, do you? I do. Huh? Yeah. Well, Joe came to Genius while you were there by Zoom, and uh, he gave a really great presentation on what his AI newsletter does. Okay. And so I had about eight things I was looking for at that meeting, and he checked off seven of the boxes, and I told him so. And mm-hmm. he says, and I said, so why don't we get going? And and so we have. So we've sent out we've sent out three of his AI newsletters. And just for the listeners here, it's a newsletter that writes itself. So you put in some input or prompts, and that is that your thought leaders that you follow in the world, and you know, and then you have your, you know, you let them, you know take advantage of things that you have that are already out in the internet. And, and we've, you know, and they put together a newsletter and I, I liked the content. I didn't like the layout. So, you know, I I put in a lot of input about design characteristics that would be consistent with coach stuff, you know, so, so, you know, and we have certain design rules for everything that we do. And I just applied them to the newsletter. And we have a project manager, Linda Spencer, who is overall honcho of this. And we sent it out. So in the first three episodes, first episode, we got a 56 open rate. Second one, we got a 62 open rate. Third one, we got a 66 open rate. So, wow. and that's the point to keep getting the open rate. Yeah, the, where do I like, sign up for this? Yeah, it's future future scope. So just type in, and it's a wonderful thing. And so it goes out, and then it analyzes all the feedback from the first article, and then it designs the second one, which we scrutinize from an editorial standpoint and make adjustments, and it goes back out. But more and more, what it's joining in Cloudlandia is who you want to be talking to with the who you want to be talking to, what do they want to be hearing from you? Okay, so it keeps refining that the message is right for the for the mainer. But yeah, really fun. Where do I I knew about future scope and daily AI, but where do I sign up for your your newsletter? Spark. Called Spark. We'll send it out to you. Uh, I don't. I can't do that. I'll, you know, I've got a specialized who, but we'll send it out. Send it out to you. And by the oh, way, okay, uh, great. Yeah, you're welcome as a columnist because all the people. I mean, I have a, you know, I'll have a, one or two sections on the newsletter, but the other four or five are coach. They're free zone clients. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Love it. And you can put in. You know, you can, for example, you can talk about your new book. You know, brainstorm, brainstorm. Yeah. So you can give yeah. an interview, you know, you can give an advance notice of what brainstorm is all about and just put it in as a blog and we'll just put it right in the newsletter. Okay, perfect. I like it. Well, this is uh, it's all very exciting. Yeah, I like well, the things that can do where you don't have to do the stuff, you know, where you're using 
Well, think about producing, as a host. think about producing a newsletter every two weeks. Yeah. Where you're starting from scratch every two weeks and you right. don't even have any sense how the ones you've sent out already are actually landing. You know. Yeah. The only difference between a bad newsletter idea and a good newsletter is your rate of open and click through. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This and is, response. Yeah. This, this is feedback, you know. And yeah. so so anyway, anyway, and I wonder what Vladimir Putin is doing today. Hmm. I wonder the same thing. He's got a lot of he's got a lot of material for food of thought over the last five or six days, you know. Amen. Yeah. I mean they got within hundred and twenty five miles, you know, they had, you know, a couple hundred and our armed carriers and that and they got within hundred and twenty five miles of Moscow. And that's serious business, you know. The war was supposed yeah. to go the other way. And the war is coming right. to him. So anyway, but uh, you know, it's easier to not start a war than it is to start a war because once you start a war, the enemy has a vote, you know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, but uh, but this is a lot. Peter Zion did three. He does really great YouTube's. You know, five to eight minute mm-hmm. YouTube. And he did three of them yesterday. Yesterday, just oh my giving you wow. a structure on the, you know, the potential uprising of probably the best military force in the Russian army, which is the Wagner group. And the head of Wagner says, you know, we're, we've decided that the entire military leadership in Russia is incompetent and worse than that, they're criminally corrupt. And Mm. we cannot possibly win this war unless we get rid of the top military leadership, Uh, you know, them's fighting words. So follow me. Here we are, this way. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're... Anyway, it's interesting, but Peter Diamandis said that he felt that Russia was collapsing as a country and that this is, mm. you know, they were supposed to have More the ever. second most powerful military in the world, and it's debatable whether they would qualify to be in the top 10. And, you know, so lots of things. And, you know, so... Anyhow, wow. what a wonderful world. What a wonderful world we live in. Did I hear you say you're going on vacation now? It's starting. Yeah. Must be, it must be cottage time by now. Yeah, but from the cottage next Sunday, if you're free, I will call you. I am free, yes. I was hoping you'd say that. Awesome. Well, I'm very yeah. excited about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. that'd be good, and we'll learn more about your 50... You know, 50 minute minute yeah. yeah, because you had already created Jackson, Jackson units, which are 10 minutes, which are 10, 10 <laughs> Jackson right. units. Yeah. I don't think this is a threat to the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, but I think it's substantially good for you. <laughs> I agree. It's one of my most useful <laughs> reserve currencies. That's right. And I have it in abundance. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to somebody who says, do you see the dollar is not going to be reserve currency? And I said, well, whoever replaces it, make sure you have the greatest Navy in the world, the greatest Air Force in the world, and the greatest fighting, because that's the muscle that makes the dollar the reserve currency. If you don't have the, you know, the armed force to reinforce your way around the world, you can't do the reserve currency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Ready. That was fantastic. I will talk to you next weekend. Yep.
Thanks. Same Dan. time. Same time, yeah. same station. Perfect. Bye. Okay, bye.